Hello, my name is Robert Lloyd, and this is a podcast of the Lemieux Center for Public Policy, and thank you for joining us today. Today's going to be a little bit different in that it's more of a solo podcast, and I want to talk about uh, Russia's recent invasion of Ukraine. My name is Robert Lloyd. I'm the executive director of the Lemieux Center for Public Policy at Palm Beach Atlantic University. So let's jump right into it. I'm sure everyone's aware right now that Russia has invaded Ukraine. As of the time of this recording, on Friday the 25th, Russian troops are on the outskirts of the capital city, Kiev, and moving uh, closer to try to take control of the country. At the same time, Russian forces have been moving in from the east, south, and north to try to subdue the country to Russian will. This calamitous state of affairs uh, has, will have long-term repercussions not only for Ukrainians, uh, but for the international system, for people around the world. And as such, I wanted to have a special broadcast on the events there and provide some context for our listeners uh, so that they would understand some of the issues at stake and some of the, the history and implications of this uh, recent event. So let's, let's just jump right in at this point. Why does Putin care, and Putin's the, the head of uh, Russia, why does he care about Ukraine? What kind of threat has Ukraine posed Russia that would justify such an invasion? And Putin has argued that there is a threat, and his argue is that uh, the Ukrainian leadership is um, basically full of Nazis, uh, and that it's trying to seek a closer alliance with the West. And finally, it's not respecting Russian speakers uh, in Ukraine, particularly those in the eastern part. Now, on close analysis, this falls apart as a justification and that Ukraine was suffered greatly under the Nazi occupation during World War II and has shown no signs of Nazi sympathy since then, for obvious reasons. Uh, in terms of not respecting Russian speakers or Russian, Russians who are Ukrainians living in Ukraine, uh, there's no evidence of widespread persecution or marginalization of them at all. And a closer alliance with the West there is definitely some evidence of that. Ukraine has stated, um, particularly since 2014, 2015, that it would like to have closer alliances with the West. So I guess on that charge, guilty as, as charged. The, uh, but it is an odd uh, set of justifications for an invasion, uh, particularly the denazification uh, argument. And he also talks about demilitarization, but that's more in the goals. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay, so um, Putin goes a little bit beyond simply the threat, immediate threat posed by Ukraine to Russia. And he argues um, in the past and more recently that Ukraine as a sovereign country never really existed outside of Russia, sort of the concept of Russia. And that Lenin, who was the Bolshevik leader who came to power in 1917 and formed the Union of Soviet Socialist Republic out of the 
Russian Empire, that he actually made a mistake in creating Ukraine as a separate country as part of the USSR. Therefore, he argues that Ukraine is really an integral part of Russia due to its history, culture, and language. So he argues that Ukraine does not really possess true sovereignty of the type supported by the international system. It's an artificial creation. It is really part of Russia. It's been taken over by Nazis, and it's militarized, and it poses as a threat to Russia. So those are the nature of his argument um, to justify the invasion of Ukraine. It's important to state at this point that uh, Ukraine has loudly uh, disagreed with these points, and it argues that a century ago it fought for its independence against uh, Russia and against the Soviet Union, and that it has a long history of, of it independent existence or an independent identity outside of Russia. So that's Ukraine. We'll come back to Ukraine in just a second. But I think it's also important to take a look at the broader issues of Putin. For Putin, uh, and he's an ex-KGB guy. I mean, he's, he comes from that era of the Soviet Union. And uh, for him, and he's been quite quite frank about this, uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union in the early 90s uh, was a geopolitical catastrophe. Uh, and it, in short, it really bothers him that the Soviet Union collapsed and that all the successor states uh, broke apart from Russia, and particularly those that had sort of a Slavic uh, culture. In other words, were culturally more akin to Russia. Since in the immediate aftermath of the collapse of the Soviet Union, there was a lot of chaos uh, in the country and in the countries that uh, evolved out of Russia, or Soviet Union rather. And this lasted for perhaps a decade or so. And eventually um, Putin was, came into power and he was able to consolidate uh, Russian um, control, control over Russia, and begin to, the economy began to do better in part through export, of, in large part through export of gas and oil, of which it has a lot, uh, to other countries, particularly uh, Germany and elsewhere. And so with the cash flowing in, he was able to modernize his military and bring some measure of economic growth to Russia. This obviously translated into some very uh, strong support on the part of the Russian population. Although I would point out at the same time, uh, the ability to protest against him or organize politically against him uh, was restrained by him. So it's not as if it's a, a democratic system in the sense that you can contest power and all. And people who have opposed him have have uh, many times just paid the price both physically and, and also politically. So as Russia began to, as the ship began to right itself, Putin's ambitions were to uh, extend its influence over areas that had been part of the Soviet Union, part of Russian influence. So you see this in Georgia with occupation of part of Georgia, which is in the south, south to Russia. 
And then you see it in Belarus, which is, uh, again, a fairly um, culturally similar place to Russia, uh, Belarus, which is west of Russia. And you see them in a sort of economic union and kind of subservient to Russia now. You, uh, in Kazakhstan, uh, which is a very, very large country to the south of Russia, uh, there was growing opposition to the leader's rule there, and Russia actually introduced troops to support that ruler, thus extending uh, or at least confirming the influence of Russia in that former Soviet Socialist Republic. And Azerbaijan, uh, no introduction of troops or anything, but certainly closer military ties uh, between those two countries. And Azerbaijan was also part of the USSR. It's, it borders between Russia and Iran. So it hasn't been taken in uh, isolation, his goals to reconstitute the greatness of what he saw as Russia. So back to Ukraine. In the case of Ukraine, uh, uh, Ukraine is a large country, over 40 million people. Uh, by land area, it's the largest uh, in Europe. Uh, Russia is always a difficult case because it, it straddles both Asia and Europe, but it's the largest country. It's, it's larger than, say, France or Spain or Italy. And it is, um, it is a country that has that culturally Slavic, uh, but it's all the eastern parts a little more Russian-speaking, the western parts a little Ukrainian-speaking. These are closely related languages, uh, and, but still different. So the goals was denazification and demilitarization of Ukraine. And again, that, that's an important thing. Uh, those are important words to understand. So let's get back into World War II again, because uh, this history is important to understand, because if you're going to understand the conflict, and then, then the history and context becomes important. Uh, Russia calls the what, what we call World War II, uh, they term the Great Patriotic War. For the Soviet Union, Germany's invasion of the Soviet Union was uh, catastrophic in terms of the loss of life and the damage to the country. Uh, the numbers vary a lot in terms of military and civilian killed, but anywhere from 26 million and some estimates have been up to 40 million. And Russia today has about you know, 145 million people or so. So you can see you know, the Soviet Union had a lot of people, obviously, but you can just see in terms of the range, it was just unbelievably brutal. And you had sieges and cities and um, urban warfare. So the in the war, the Eastern Front for Germany, which would be the war with the Soviet Union, was really um, where much of the killing occurred and the destruction. So the USSR really bore much of the brunt uh, of German fury uh, during World War II. And it tied up so many troops for Germany and was so costly to Germany that it aided Western efforts to invade through France and then uh, open a front on the Western side of Germany. But Germany is very keenly aware of its role in pushing back Nazi Germany. 
So it's a very emotive topic in Russia for obvious reasons. Now, they emerged victorious against Germany, but at the same time, it was a, it was a very costly victory. So when Putin talks about the denazification, uh, that's stretching a, touching a very um, important nerve in Russian society. All right, so that those are some of the justifications. One may or may not agree with that. Uh, I think you may have sensed that I'm quite dubious on the rationale for uh, an invasion. Uh, Ukraine uh, did not pose any military threat to Russia. In fact, this is a little interesting factoid. Uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, Ukraine had a very large arsenal of nuclear weapons. And Ukraine, which would have vaulted it into sort of a, a major power just on the basis of having nuclear weapons. Uh, Ukraine voluntarily uh, gave up its nuclear weapons uh, by having security guarantees from the West uh, on supporting the country. So this is why it's a little, also a little bit of a challenge uh, because historically they, they could say, well, we gave up the whip, the weapons, which would have enabled us to have some sort of deterrence, and we did not receive um, security the security guarantees that we were promised. So we'll set that one aside as one of those topics that we cannot resolve at this point. It just is what it is. Uh, Putin, let's turn back to Putin. Uh, Putin has other goals besides sort of the enlargement of the Russian sphere of influence or control. One of the areas is to reduce American influence on the international system. So at the end of World War II, uh, the United States and other Western allies, but primarily the United States, emerged victorious uh, from the war against Germany and Japan. And the United States was able to reshape the international order, building in many ways upon the foundation that uh, the British Empire had established in the preceding century. And this includes things like trade and security agreements. And the U.S. military had the ability to support this, and the United States had the financial wherewithal uh, to support this. So if you take a look a lot at a lot of the organizations, for instance, the United Nations, uh, is based in New York, and it's the successor organization to the League of Nations, which was based in Europe, in Geneva. So you see clearly so the center of the international system shifting over to the United States. Uh, you see the establishment of the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, um, International Monetary Fund, which you know, the money, if you will, world money, and you see those based in Washington D.C. You see NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is a, an alliance, a defense alliance organization against the Soviet Union forming. You see an alliance with Japan, one of the uh, countries defeated in World War II. So you see a tremendous amount of efforts by the United States to establish a secure, peaceful environment where trade could flourish. So you have a number of rounds of uh, free trade agreements uh, in order to foster international trade. Those are elements of the international order that the United States built, which gives it an enormous amount of influence. 
And some Americans may not realize even things like the use of the dollar use of the U.S. dollar worldwide is sort of what's called a reserve currency. In other words, you'll have countries such as Bhutan and Bolivia settling their accounts with each other in U.S. dollars. So it becomes a medium of exchange. That gives the United States enormous amounts of influence in the world simply because we produce the dollars. So for Putin, that's not a good thing. Uh, All those things I mentioned are not good. And so he's been quite clear that he'd like to reduce American influence in the international system. So how has he been doing this? Well, forming an alliance with China, uh, or reestablishing an alliance with China. Uh, They had one in the 50s and 60s. That would oppose American and Western influence. Uh, Reestablishing Russia as a major global power. And also seeing if, in terms of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, if there are ways to exploit differences within that organization uh, so as to weaken it and thus uh, strengthen the influence of Russia. So these these are strategic goals, um, and I think it should be clear to American listeners that uh, this is not something that the United States would support. And the United States would not say, yes, let's weaken our defense alliances, let's... Um, Let's, let's move away from a rules-based system. Let's move away from an international system that encourages uh, democracy and sovereignty and, and security uh, for countries. So taking a look at, at the time of this recording, uh, Russian troops are really beginning to enter Ukraine, uh, Ukraine's largest city and capital city of Kiev. And they're also gradually moving in from the south and the east and the north uh, through Ukraine. Ukrainians are putting up uh, fierce resistance, uh, but the military might and the pre-planning on the part of Russia makes, makes it very difficult. And once air superiority is established over Ukraine, then uh, Russia would be able to really move um, much unhampered. Uh, throughout the country in terms of its troops. So they're not there yet, but it does look at, by the time of this recording, that that would be the likely outcome, barring something that develops between now and the time you listen to this podcast. So the question is, if Ukraine falls uh, to Russian might, what are the goal? What are Putin's goals for Ukraine? Some things are clear, and some things aren't clear. Uh, it's clear that he would want a regime change. So the current leadership of Ukraine, and Ukraine is a democratic country, not perfect, um, but it is democratic, would be to change the regime, not only the leaders but the type of government. Uh, that that's pretty clear. The other areas, there, there are other areas that are as yet unclear. So, for instance, would he want to just dissolve Ukraine and absorb it into Russia? Some of the early indicators suggest no. But then again, he said he wasn't going to invade and it was silly for anyone to think that. So credibility is not, not high on that one. Another one would be, another option would be a puppet state where you have a Ukrainian leader Uh, But the Ukrainian leader is beholden uh, to Russia. 
And in many ways, this would be like during, during the old Soviet Union days, where you'd have countries like Poland, which was nominally independent, but where really the Soviet Union was calling the tune and the leaders were entirely beholden to the Soviet Union. So is that, you know, the old KGB guy, is that what he's thinking? The other would be a federation or some sort of union where Ukraine would retain a nominal independence, but then would really be in very close ties, economic and political ties with Russia. So not formal absorption, not quite a puppet state, but sort of a federation. Uh, it's as yet unclear uh, what the outcome will that be, that will be. Okay, so what's going on with the U.S. and Western responses? There's a number of actions that the West has been taking in order to respond to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Militarily, uh, the West has been shoring up the eastern flank of NATO. The United States has been sending troops into Poland and also into Germany in, to, in order to bolster uh, Western influence and American resolve in those countries. It's basically a marker saying if you go into, say, the Baltic Republics or into Poland, which are all members of NATO, then you will be crossing a, a red line, and then that will trigger uh, an American response. So this would be a dramatic escalation of the conflict. And then Putin would have to think very seriously about that one. So that, that's what the military is on. Diplomatically, the, the West has been trying to isolate Russia through various means. Uh, the hasn't broken relations with them diplomatically, but has been attempting to isolate the country. Economically, uh, the West has been throwing sanctions on Russia and, it, and the, its leaders, and this would be expected to be tighter and tighter. Now, sanctions are, are like a tax. They can make life miserable, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, you just throw sanctions and then you get your way. It's, it's a little harder than that. But it certainly is a tool in the toolbox. And finally, there's a legal, which is threaten Putin and supporters with legal consequences. You know, if they do this, and you're going to have legal consequences if you're ever in another country, uh, then you could be arrested and tried and so forth. So these, this is basically designed to raise the cost. Now, for Ukraine, will it, will it cause Ukraine... Russia to decide, okay, uh, our bad, we're, we're out of here. Probably not, The at least in the short run. Uh, okay, so let's wind up and take a look at the long run. In the long run, will Putin be su successful? Will Russia in one of these forms, uh, puppet state, federation, absorption, be successful? Hard to say uh, at this point. My... Uh, evaluation, and I hate to be put in this place, but I'll put myself in it, is probably no in the long term. It, it would be very difficult for Russia to fully absorb you, a country the size in terms of area and population of Ukraine, especially if there was entrenched Ukrainian resistance to it. It would just be very costly occupation. Uh, there would be rebels blowing things up. There would be, you know, there would be roundups of people who were protesting and massacres of peaceful protesters and all, and that would that would raise the cost and the disruption in Ukraine 
enormously to, to Russia. The other thing is Putin's getting older and he won't be around forever. And I don't know if a successor leader would have the same um, inclination or power base to pursue continued occupation of Ukraine. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, the So I think in the long term, uh, it would be difficult for Ukraine uh, to be fully absorbed into Russia. Does that mean it's impossible? No. But realistically, the West will never accept uh, Ukraine being anything less than independent from Russia. It just won't. I, I do not see it. I mean, Crimea, there were movements towards that, but but I think Ukraine as a country, it sets a very bad standard where one country can take over another. And it's a direct challenge to the international system as we know it. Because there's lots of countries that would be interested in taking over bits and pieces of neighboring countries. And once that Pandora's box is opened, then it's very, very hard to close it. So I think there will be continued resistance uh, internationally and domestically within Ukraine to Russian designs on Ukraine, but it's it's going to take a while for that to sort out. So I'm hoping as a result of this that uh, listeners have a, have a broader view. Uh, there's lots of good material out there these days uh, on the conflict, but I wanted to provide a context for those who are listening to so say okay i think i think i have an understanding of where we how where we were why we're here the options and where things might turn out uh, in the future again this is a lemieux center for public policy so our goal is to inform and to in a reasoned and civil discourse to bring information and understanding on policy issues uh, to you the listener so that you can evaluate it and so you can understand and um, evaluate what you need to do and how your thoughts on this from an informed position. So I, I do hope that this uh, very short podcast, solo podcast, uh, was helpful to you. I, this was again recorded on uh, Friday, February 25th and will be posted fairly soon. Again, my name is Robert Lloyd. I'm Executive Director of the Lemieux Center for Public Policy at Palm Beach Atlantic University, and I thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. <laughs>